Amen. Amen. Good morning, Maple Grove. Good morning, Maple Grove out there in uh, TV land. And at this time, the kids can be dismissed to their, uh, their class over there. And I uh, just want to remind everybody quickly that uh, this week we're voting on the, uh, on the budget. And on the back table, you'll find a copy of the budget, a simple yes and no for those who are 16 and over and are members. You can drop it off. You'll see the boxes that we have, one there, uh, one there, one there, one there for you where the communion are. That's where we collect our offering as well. We, we don't pass an offering plate. We haven't done that for a while. So you just take those ballots and drop them in there. And obviously, um, with the, the COVID-19 craziness, you know, uh, you can, we're going to email this ballot to you where you can uh, just simply send us an email back that says yes or no if you're at home. You can come by and pick one up as well. Um, and you can do that sometime this week, so all week long. It's a little bit different this year, uh, but again, we're, we're going to be taking care of that. So uh, we're in this series called Finding Freedom from the Things That Seek to Bind Us. And uh, uh, like I mentioned last week, the next two Sundays, um, next week and then one after that, we're going to be looking actually into the Christmas story. And next week we're going to talk about you know, finding freedom from comparison and then we're going to look at the Christmas story again on the 27th and talk about finding freedom from our sin and mistakes. Uh, there are two theme verses for this series. Um, the first is in Galatians chapter, six verse, chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And this is from... John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to the Jewish leaders. He says, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And really the series, when you, when you boil it all down, the truths that we're unpacking in this series are about being able to tell the things that seek to bind us. Fear, worry, anger, circumstances, stuff. It's about being able to look at those things and say, you know what, fear, worry, anger, you're not my master. You're not the boss of me. I will not let you control my joy, my peace, my contentment, my hope anymore because you're not my master and because the Son has set me free. Question, have any of those six things ever been your master? You know, has fear or, or worry or anger or circumstances ever controlled your joy, your peace, your hope, your contentment, your, your confidence? Well, if it has, and it has, because I know it has, then I, the good news is that there really is a path out. There really is a path to freedom, and that's what we've been talking about during these last few weeks you see, in and through Jesus and in and through his living and active word, you have the power to walk the path to set you free from fear, worry, anger, stuff, circumstances, and tell them, you're not my master. I mean, are, are you kind of worn out by letting circumstances control your mood? I mean, you woke up in a good mood, then some stuff happened to you, and now your mood is terrible, your joy is gone, your hope is gone, your, your peace is gone. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That, that's a pretty powerful promise, right? Jesus is saying that if you know and hold on to his truth, 
Not that you might be set free, but that what? That you will be set free. And, and, and this week, I, I started looking at that, and, and I saw that this freedom that we have is contingent, is predicated on one thing, upon you and I holding on to Jesus' teaching. And so on Friday morning, I, I said, I need to do a deep dive on this word that's translated hold um, that Jesus spoke in, in John chapter 8. And, and I did that, and it's a, it's a Greek word you can see there, meno. It means to remain, to continue, uh, to keep, to stay. Uh, it's the same word that was used when the Holy Spirit fell on Jesus and remained on him. It's the word used in, in John chapter 15, uh, that if we were, we're the branch, he's the vine. If we remain in him, we'll produce much fruit. It's the same word that's used, and these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. It was actually used in the same word in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, where he says, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring, meno, word of God. You see, if we hold on, if we remain in his teachings, in his truth, we will be set free. Set free from fear and anger, worry, circumstances. And this morning, I, I want to talk about being set free from, from hurt. Got any? Got any old ones, any new ones, any fresh ones, any, any deep ones? Have you ever been hurt? Are you in a place of hurt right now? I mean, are you right now in that deep, draining, depression, deflating, defeating, dark place where the only way out is through forgiveness? And our son, when, when we're on the receiving end of forgiveness, it's all good, right? I mean, raise your hand in this room and online if you like it when someone forgives you when you mess up. Anybody like that? All right. And, and raise your hand if at home, uh, some of you didn't do it, uh, raise your hand at home or in this room if you are thankful that you serve a God who forgives you of all your sins. All right? Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. I mean, we are pro-forgiveness when we're the ones receiving it. Uh, but sometimes when we are, have to be on the giving end of forgiveness, it gets a little messy. It gets a little bit harder. You see, it's an awesome concept when we're not talking about forgiving the person who hurt you, forgiving the father who berated you, forgiving the spouse who cheated on and walked out on you, forgiving the boss who fired you, forgiving the coworker who stabbed you in the back, forgiving the relative who abused you, forgiving the friend who betrayed, lied about, and slandered you. I mean, forgiveness is such a beautiful thing when we're on receiving end. But when we're asked to give it, it gets messier. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, verse 10, every heart knows its own bitterness, uh, which basically means that we've all been hurt. Everyone in this room, everyone at line, on listen online, has been hurt without exception. All of us at one time or another have been mistreated, set aside, beat down, let down, brokenhearted, abandoned, betrayed, bullied, belittled, abused, offended, insulted, excluded, wounded, rejected, despised, lied about, disliked, and hated. We've been hurt by parents, 
by spouses, by exes, by brothers, by sisters, by aunts, by uncles, by grandparents, by in-laws, by friends, by ex-friends, by classmates, by co-workers, by boyfriends, by girlfriends, by church members, by church leaders. Bottom line, when we are the ones who are hurt, this great and noble concept of forgiveness starts to seem difficult, like it seems like we're being asked to climb to the top of Mount Everest in bare feet and shorts with no equipment. And here's what I want us to do today. On December the 13th, 2020. December 13th, 2020. And a lot of times I say the date for a specific reason because for somebody, I believe in this room, maybe listening online, this is going to be a defining moment in your life because the day you're going to find how you can be free from hurt. Because this hurt has held you as a slave long enough, and the day's a day that the Son would really like to set you free. Amen? And the series is focused on a parable found in Matthew 18. And as we unpack these words from Jesus, we're going to learn that in the eyes of Jesus, biblical forgiveness is only realized when it works both ways. In other words, the forgiveness that comes from God, the only way that it really works is if it goes both ways. You see, if all we do is receive forgiveness and we never give it, then we have fallen woefully short of what forgiveness means and what it also means to be a person who has chosen to live in the kingdom of God. Get it? Good. And listen, as we dive into this study on forgiveness, I want to make something clear so that no one misses or misunderstands or misappropriates our conversation. And and, and what I'm about to say may make some people in this room a little bit uncomfortable, and I'm okay with that because the truth is it makes me uncomfortable. And I always love to share my discomfort with you guys. It's a spiritual gift of mine. If something makes me uncomfortable about my walk, well, you know what? I I don't want to do that alone. Let me bring you all in. And and, and here's the first thing. Um, Our forgiveness, Our giving of forgiveness to those who have hurt us reveals how much forgiveness we have really received from God and how much we're just kind of faking it. It reveals how much we really should forgot and how much we're just faking. Yeah, God forgives me, but it's really not deep. And this next one is going to make you really uncomfortable. We understand, get, and experience God's forgiveness only to the degree that we're willing to extend forgiveness to the one who hurt us the most and deserves it the least. You see, that's when you know it's real. That's when you know that God's forgiveness has taken root in your life. When you're called to forgive someone who who doesn't deserve it and who really, really hurt you, yet you still forgive them. You see that beautiful and powerful truth, we're saved by grace through faith, it it works both ways. And we experience God's salvation not only when we receive forgiveness, but also when we give forgiveness. Question, who has hurt you the most and deserves your forgiveness the least? I, I mean, when I say that, does anybody's face pop into your mind? Does any situation, does any painful experience flash before you? Okay, let's do this. Finding freedom from hurt. Like I said, we're going to look at a parable in Matthew 18. Um, Jesus talks about, we know this parable as the 
the unforgiven servant. Uh, we could also call it you know, maybe the dangers of holding on to your hurt. That could be another name for it. And here's how the passage starts off. Peter comes to Jesus with a question. Who else, right? <laughs> I mean, let's just stop there and say, of course he did. If you know anything about the Bible, you know that Peter was like the kid in class who always is like, hold on, hold on, <laughs> hold on a minute. I mean, while everybody else is nodding their head like they, they get it, even if they don't, you know, Peter is the guy who always asks the question that everybody else is thinking, right? Hey, wait a second. I, I, I need to really get this cleared up, Jesus. You see, Jesus had just talked about some serious stuff, some tough stuff about forgiveness and reconciliation. And, and, and so he has a question for Jesus. Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? You know, I wonder, does Peter, you think he has somebody in mind when he, when he says that? And, and understand, Peter was probably expecting Jesus to commend him. You see, the rabbi said that you should forgive a person three times. And after that, you can go at it. So Peter said, you know what, I'm going to double that and add one for good measure. I'm going to say to number seven, it's a, it's a biblical number, right? Seven sounds awesome. And you know what? Perfect, to be perfectly honest, forgiving somebody seven times is pretty commendable, right? How about you? Sometimes I can have a hard time forgiving somebody one time. So by human standards, what Peter is saying is, is pretty impressive. Peter thought that what he was doing was going the second mile, that he was, you know, that he was turning the other cheek. But the truth is, Peter simply wanted a number. You know, he, he wanted a legal limit, after which he could say, all right, you crossed the line, no more, Mr. Nice Guy. So when Peter throws out that number, he's feeling pretty confident. He's expecting Jesus to compliment him, say, Peter, you're amazing. You know, why can't the rest of you disciples be as awesome as, as Peter is? Right? You're just amazing. That's what he thinks is going to happen. Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. And I really do think Peter had someone specific in mind. And I think it's safe to assume that it was probably somebody uh, that he knew quite well. Because that's usually how it works, right? I mean, every now and then, somebody out of the blue can come into your life, wreak havoc and destruction, and be gone. But most of the time, the people who hurt us the most are the people that what? That we love, right? Because we love them, and we love them, we give them our heart, and that gives them power over us, right? That gives them the ability where they can hurt us and cause us pain, a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. And you know, I think Peter's question is something we'd like to answer to. Right? I mean, as long as uh, Jesus, as long as Peter is asking, Jesus, how, how far is too far? Like, Jesus, how much is too much? How much do I have to take? Jesus, when is it okay for my forgiveness to run out? And so Peter sets Jesus up with this equation because that's what Peter wants to know. When does the hurt in my life when does the pain that has been caused me, 
When does this become the equation that I'm allowed to operate by? When does my hurt become greater than your call to forgive? We'd like to know the answer to that, right? And Jesus says, I'll tell you, not seven times, Peter, but 70 times seven times. 70 times seven times. And that loud sound you hear is Peter falling over unconscious. 490 times? See, Jesus said, Peter, you got it all wrong. You don't count the number of times you forgive someone because forgiveness is unlimited. And it's not that we say to ourselves, 298, 299, 300, only 190 more times to go, and then I can pay you back. There's no limit. It sounds crazy. It sounds unrealistic. Not natural. It sounds impossible. Unfair. But remember, we who have surrendered our lives to Christ, we have, we, we have chosen to live in a new and better kingdom, to live in a new and better way. One where grace reigns and where we are supernaturally empowered to live radically different. Where we are empowered to live in a way where grace and forgiveness are our operating system, right? You know, and some of us need to do that, uh, that upgrade, right? <laughs> it's just showing up every day. Hey, you need to upgrade your system to uh, upload grace and forgiveness to be your operating system because your old one isn't the way that works not in my kingdom. And we keep saying, well, you know what? I wasn't plugged into power supply, so I'll get it. Maybe tomorrow I'll plug it in so it'll upload overnight while I'm sleeping, right? And when we hear Jesus say that, we should forgive them seven times, 70 times. We probably accept that as true. Okay, if Jesus says it, it's got to be true. However, emotionally, it's hard to get our brains and minds around that concept. I mean, we may acknowledge that it's true, right? I mean, I don't think anybody here disagrees, right? We just read from the Bible that it's true, that we have to forgive every time. It doesn't feel true, though, does it? I mean, if you're the one who's been hurt, if you're the one who's been left, if you're the one who's been abandoned, betrayed, mistreated, and abused, if that's you, then you might say, but it doesn't feel true. Because sometimes, I don't know about you, sometimes it does feel like my forgiveness has, has run out. And so Jesus gives us this parable to help us understand emotionally, help us to get our minds around what it means to find freedom from our hurt. Therefore, the king of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As began the settlements, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And again, that's not uncommon back in that day, right? You know, be in prison because of debt. And this action wouldn't surprise the people listening to Jesus because they know the way of the world. The way of the world is you owe, you pay. You owe, you pay. And so this is a story of a master who wants to settle accounts. And one guy owed him a very huge debt. Anybody know what debt is? It's fun, right? It's good times. And I want to talk about the size of that debt for a minute. 
Because long before talent meant skill, it meant a sum of money. And a, a talent was the, the largest currency in, in, in the Greek economy. It represented 10,000 denarii. And, and, and a denarii was one day's wages. So a talent was 10,000 days wages. So if you work 260 days a year, you make 50,000 a year, you work 260 days a year, you would make $192 a day. And for you, a talent would be $1,920,000, okay? But this guy owed 10,000 talents, so this guy owed $19.2 billion, right? Now, why did Jesus choose such a large number? So they would know that this guy owes a huge unpayable debt. Now, let's hit the pause button for a second. Because this really is a story about the human race. This is really my story and your story. Jesus says that there's a king, there's this God who is extremely generous, who's full of mercy and grace. He's also painstakingly just. And every one of us have accumulated a mounting of debt beforehand. And listen, we add to that debt every day through sins of omission or commission. Now, understand, anytime we're less honest, Anytime we twist the truth to make ourselves look better or to cover up a flaw. Every time we're unloved to our kids. Every time we're unkind to our spouse. Every time we're disrespectful to our parents. Every time we speak reckless words which hurt somebody. Every time we fail to do the things that we know to do. Like share our faith, give our tithe, care for the needy. Every time we gossip, slander, tear others down with our tongue. Every selfish act, every racist joke every sexually immoral thought or deed, every judgmental attitude, every malicious act are, is adding to that debt, that unpayable debt. And so Matthew chapter 8 is just a reminder that we owe a huge debt to God. And then Jesus' story gets interesting. I mean, this guy is desperate. He doesn't know what to do, and so he throws up a Hail Mary, right? It's worth it. Get a shot. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. Notice the exact request. Be patient, he begged, and I will pay back everything. He can't do that. I mean, even if he worked 365 days a year at $192 per day, it would take him 273,972 years to pay it off. I mean, what are the odds of unemployed Servant being able to pay back that debt, right? It's not happening, right? It's a joke, right? It's like saying, I'm going to empty the Atlantic Ocean with a teaspoon. It's not going to happen. At best, it's an insult to the intelligence of the master. And as soon as the master heard the plea, he knew the guy couldn't pay it back. And again, Jesus listens that they knew what to expect. They knew the way of the world. You owe, you pay. They're waiting for the, the hammer to fall. And then Jesus says in verse 27 that the master moved with compassion. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. I mean, how would you feel if you were this guy? You owed, well, maybe if you had any debt right now, if I said, hey, here you go, what's your debt? You feel, feel pretty good, right? I'd feel pretty good. Boom, all debt's cleared. Better yet, how do you feel knowing that God canceled all your debt? 
uh, that God paid for every sin you ever committed. The ones you committed yesterday, months ago, the ones you commit today, next week, next month. I mean, how does that, how does that, how does that make you feel? And it's a huge debt. Someone's got to pay for it, right? Someone has to take the loss, and who takes the loss? The master takes the loss. The master pays. See, he offers a new economy, and this economy, it's not, you know, you owe, you pay, it's you owe, I'll pay. It's economy of grace, it's a way of the kingdom. I mean, it's crazy, think about it, right? That the king would pay the debt for his people. And that's what Jesus did for us, Colossians 2, 13 and 14. You were dead because of your sins. You're dead. Not having a bad hair day. You know, you were dead because of your sins. And because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away, nailing it to the cross. He forgave all our sins he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away, nailing it to a cross. And Jesus continues the story. When the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants. I wonder, did he just bump into him or did he go looking for him? <laughs> Who owed him 100 silver coins, 100 days wages. 192 times 100 owed him basically $19,200, Right? A significant amount, but not close to $19.2 billion. And this time, he's the one that's owed the money. And as I read the next two verses, picture the person who has hurt you the most, right? And picture how you respond or maybe how you wanted to respond to that hurt. He grabbed him and began to choke him. I know, I've maybe felt those emotions before, but i, I got to confess. Pay me back what you owe me, he demanded. Ever want to say that to someone who hurt you? Pay me back what you owe me. You hurt me. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Sound familiar? It's the exact same thing that he had just said. And now he's being asked to do the same thing, but to a much lesser degree, right? Um, Matter of fact, a million times lesser if you're counting. And if you've never seen this story before, like if you're watching this on the Hallmark movie channel, right, what would you expect to happen? You'd hear the music playing, and he'd say, of course I'm going to forgive you. I've been forgiven so much by God, and this is so little, obviously I'm going to forgive you. I've received such awesome grace, of course I'm going to give it. Verse 30, but he refused and said he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Here's verse 31. I think it's important. We kind of sometimes look over it. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. And they're not being tattletales, right? You know, but when they saw what happened, they were outraged. Why are they outraged? Because you see, they live in this community. They live in this country that operates differently. Because they serve a master who does not treat them as their sins deserves. Because they serve a master who treats them like sons and daughters. And when one of their own receives that kind of forgiveness and then refuses to give it, it's a, it's a problem. They're outraged. Like, how could you do that? You see, the church, God's family, 
It's not going to work unless we who receive forgiveness are willing to give forgiveness. And so when we see a brother or sister who is unwilling to forgive, that's a problem. And we need to help them get through that. So this parable of forgiveness, there's also this call for righteous outrage. And there's a call for the church, for Jesus' followers, to not be okay with ungrace, to not be okay with gracism, to not be okay with people being gracist. I've used these terms before. Gracism, I don't know if you've ever practiced gracism. I deserve to have grace, but certain people who do not meet my standards because of who they are or what they have done, do not. That's gracism. And a gracist is a person who's quick to ask for and accept grace, but refuses to extend that same grace to certain people. You ever been a gracist? You ever practiced gracism? I understand, ungrace, gracelessness, unforgiveness is not okay. That is, if you and I want to follow Jesus, it's not the way of the kingdom. And so the master finds this out, and we read, then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you? And his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all the debt. Question, how long do you think it would take for a guy in prison to pay back $19.2 billion? Point is, He'll never be able to pay it back, ever. And you know, many times when Jesus tells a parable, he wants us to go home and think about it. Hey, what does it mean? How does it apply to my life? But not this time. Jesus wants to make sure this time that those listening then and us listening today in this room and at home, he wants to make sure we really understand the point he's making. And the very next verse is this, right? The guy's thrown in, in the prison, separated from God, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Now, our initial reaction is to say, are are you telling me, Steve, that if I don't forgive the person who hurt me, who abused me, who betrayed me, who cheated me, who abandoned me, who lied about me, you're telling me if I don't forgive them that God won't forgive me? No, I'm not telling you that. Jesus is. Get it? Good. You see, the truth that Jesus is wanting to make perfectly clear is that if we think it's okay to receive grace and not give it, if we think it's okay to be forgiven and not forgive, if we think it's okay to bask in our bitterness, to reside in resentment, to hold on to our hurt, we could not be more wrong. I know it's not fair. I know that. Because those people owe you something, right? I mean, it's right there in black and white. They owe you $19,200 of hurt. So it's not fair, but, but, but here's the deal. Jesus will never ask you to give more grace and forgiveness than you've already received from him. So Jesus answers Peter's question with an equation of his own. When does my hurt become greater than your call to forgive? Here's Jesus' equation. His forgiveness is always greater than our hurt. Or you can look at it this way. Another way you can look at it is 19.2 billion is always greater, right? Like, is there any time when 
19,200 would ever be greater than 19.2 billion? Is there ever? No, there's never a time. And that's not to make light of the hurt you received, right? Because sometimes $19,200 can hurt. It can hurt a lot. It can hurt for a while. But what I'm trying to say, and I don't know if I'm saying it well enough, it's that the more you understand, the more I understand the mercy and grace of God, the more we realize how true it is that his forgiveness is always greater than our hurt. And if that equation doesn't make sense to you, if you don't want to believe that equation, you don't want to accept it, that you don't understand the gospel and you don't understand yourself. Because if the biggest sinner you know isn't you, then you don't know yourself very well. What about you? The biggest sinner I know is the one I look in the mirror at every single day. We've forgiven this debt, and the Bible says that we are to, in Colossians 3.13, forgive as the Lord forgave us. Colossians 3.13, forgive as the Lord forgave us. Forgive as the Lord forgave us. Not a suggestion, right? It's how his kingdom works. And, and, and as we, we hit the final turn here, I, I, I wanna, I'm in equation mood. I, I want to give you a few equations you know, that'll, that'll help you walk the path to freedom. Equations that you can remember that will help you Find freedom from hurt. Versus that forgiveness is greater than repayment. And that's the idea, this idea that, that the person, for you to forgive that person, you think the person has to make things right. When, when I was growing up, I was taught that if I hurt somebody, if I did something wrong, then I needed to make it right. I needed to say something or do something to make it right. And, and I think that's a great lesson for us to teach our children, but it also created in me this unbiblical kind of concept of forgiveness. Because here's what I figured in my head, that when it comes to forgiveness, when the person who hurts me makes things right, then I can forgive them. Problem is, that's not forgiveness. That's repayment. That's justice. You see, in the flesh, we want repayment. Let me ask you, what do you do when you're hurt so badly? What do you do when you're hurt so badly, ba- hurt so bad? I said, that's what I said, badly, hurt so badly that there's nothing that can be said or there's nothing that can be done to make it right. And that's going to happen to you if it hasn't already. When someone has done something so wrong, so hurtful, there's nothing they can say or do that can make it right. And that's when biblical forgiveness comes riding in and does what it alone can do. Bible says in verse 27, the master canceled the debt. The idea is that it was erased completely. He didn't extend the note. He didn't say, hey, let's just make interest-only payments. He canceled it completely. And that's what God has done for us. Our forgiveness is not earned. Now, trust needs to be earned, right? Forgiveness is immediate. Trust needs to be earned over time. And listen, when you make forgiveness dependent on the other person making it right, you need to find another word for it because it's not forgiveness. So forgiveness is greater than repayment. Forgiveness is greater than revenge. Anybody like revenge? (laughs) You've been hurt. They should not have done that to you. And maybe you have the power to get even. 
But forgiveness releases that right. It says no to getting even. It says no to the you hurt me, I'll hurt you philosophy of life. It's where we say, hey, if there's any justice to be served, I will trust God to serve that justice. Romans 12, 19, do not take revenge, my friends. Do not repay evil for evil. Leave room for God's wrath, for vengeance is mine. I'll repay, says the Lord. You say, if I give up my right to get even with someone who hurt me, that's not fair. You're right. It's not fair. But whoever said forgiveness is fair? I mean, was it fair for Jesus to hang on the cross and die in order to forgive your sins? Was that fair? And so we release the right to get even. And that's what it says in verse 27. He canceled the debt and he let him go. He let him go. And today, December 13th, 2020, I want to encourage you to do the same thing. You know, and, and maybe you just hold your hands up and, and you let him go. Let them go. Let him go. Let her go. It's not fair. I know it's not fair. They don't deserve it. I know they don't deserve it. I know that. But nevertheless, let them go. For your sake and his glory. Forgiveness is greater than repayment. Forgiveness is greater than revenge. Forgiveness is greater than resentment. Anybody know what resentment is? And that's an approach we can take to hurt, right? It's where we become more and more angry about the situation, quietly. <laughs> we just keep feeding the offense, reliving the pain, rehearsing the hurt. It, resentment is where we hit the play button over and over again, watching over and over how they hurt us, how they took advantage of us, how they mistreated us. And we, so just quietly we become more and more angry. But when you choose resentment, right, who, who winds up paying for it? You do, right? I mean, who wound up in prison in Jesus' parable? The guy who refused to forgive. Question, have you ever met a resentful person who was a joyful person, who was a peaceful, at peace person? Ever met one? I haven't. Forgiveness is greater than repayment, revenge, or resentment. What a story Jesus tells in Matthew 18 about something very real, right? About hurt. In response to Peter's question and ours as well, do I really have to forgive them? They hurt me so bad. They don't deserve it. Lord, when is my hurt greater than your call to forgive? Brothers and sisters, we stand before a mighty and holy God with their sins piled up like a mountain. The mountain is so tall, we cannot get over it. It's so deep, we cannot get under it. It's so wide, we cannot get around it. And that's every one of us in this room and online. Our sins are a debt that none of us could ever repay, not in our lifetime and not in 273,972 years or ever. We come to God with this massive debt and 
We come with empty hands. God, it's too much. I cannot pay. Will you forgive me? And God says, yes, I forgive you. I will pay your debt. My son will pay your debt. And he did and he does. You see, that's the perspective that Jesus wants us to live out. He wants his forgiveness to become a spring of living water that wells out from each of us into the lives of other people. Someone has said we are most like beasts when we kill. We are most like man when we judge. And we are most like God when we forgive. Who do you want to be more like? Let me tell you, God loves forgiveness. I've not found one example in all the Bible where God rebukes someone for being too forgiven. Saying, you know what? You forgive too much. Knock it off. You are way too forgiving. People hurt you and all you do is forgive, forgive, forgive. Not once. Check out this little statement here. The key to forgiving is is to stop thinking about what's been done to you and start thinking about what Jesus has done for you. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's messy. But whenever we feel that bitterness and resentment and anger and unforgiveness begin to well up, we need to remind ourselves of all that Jesus has done for us, and it will give us the power to find freedom from our hurt. Amen? I want you to lean into this story as we, as we close. It, these words are written by a lady named Corey Tenboom. Um, she is a survivor of a Nazi concentration camp. Here's what she writes. And really listen. Just pay attention here at home. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were falling out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947. And I'd come from Holland to defeat it Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth that they needed to hear the most in that bitter, bombed-out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture, maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind. I like to think that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not, not quite daring to believe this. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, and silence collected their wraps, and silence left the room. And that's when I saw him, walking his way forward against the others. One moment, I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next, a blue uniform and a visor cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the room, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me and thrust out. A fine message for a line. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take the hand. 
He will not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him. And the leather, and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors. And my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. He was saying, I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time he went on, I had become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, again, his hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I who sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive them their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it. Not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. You see, since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. And there I saw that those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives no matter what the physical scars they wore. And that those who nursed those, that bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And so I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I pray silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one outstretched to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long time, we grasped each other's hands. The former guard and the former prisoner, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come into this house. And Lord, I know in this room right now, and I know those listening online, at home, and maybe we'll listen later. Okay, we've been hurt. And sometimes repayment seems the way to go, and sometimes they owe us, and sometimes revenge or resentment seems to be the path we want to take, but that is not the path to freedom. Father, I pray that you would give us the power and the strength. God, help us to realize how much your grace has forgiven us. God, I pray that you give us the strength and power, Lord, to let them go. God, help us not to miss this moment. Help us not to push aside this truth. Lord, just like Corey Tenbaum, Lord, that, you know, she never felt your love more intensely than when she forgave this man who had hurt her so deeply. God, help us to walk in her footsteps, to walk in your footsteps and be a people who forgive so that we can be set free. Help us to celebrate your incredible grace. 
In Jesus' name, amen.